Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to focus on this week's Haftorah portion from Isaiah, which has a decidedly messianic flair to it. The prophet Isaiah is speaking about Messiah, the character and the distinctive qualities of Messiah, and he reveals in this reading some of the keys to help us recognize Messiah. And as well, Isaiah helps us learn some important points regarding messianic lifestyle and what it means to be messianic. Now this portion that we're gonna read from the Haftorah from Isaiah 11 today is read in synagogues of every kind, not just messianic synagogues. Though this is a messianic passage, it is a traditional reading in synagogues everywhere. Not only that, but it is understood to be about Messiah. The traditions of the Jewish people regarding Isaiah 11, you can turn there, are that this is speaking about the promised Messiah, the Messiah promised to the Jewish people. And just as a, a test, we can ask this question, was Isaiah himself a Jew? Answer, yes he was. So this is part of the prophets, it's part of traditional readings. And so as we're reading this, you might be asking yourself this question, if everybody's reading the same text, why don't we all come to the same conclusion? If everyone is reading about Messiah today, why can't we agree on who is Messiah? And I want to address that a little bit as we move forward. But let's start by looking at Isaiah chapter 11, verse one. A branch will emerge from the trunk of Jesse. A shoot will grow from his roots. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will be inspired by fearing the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but he will judge the impoverished with justice and he will decide fairly for the humble of the land. He will strike the land with a rod from his mouth and slay the wicked with a breath from his lips. Another way of saying that is, he will destroy wickedness with the spirit. Then verse eight, justice will be the belt around his waist, faithfulness the sash around his hips. When it uses the word here, justice, it can also be translated as righteousness. So this is speaking about justice and righteousness. The Hebrew word is a root word, tzedek. Say that with me, tzedek. And it means justice, righteousness. It also means charity. And the word for faithfulness is emunah. Let's hear you. Emunah, which means faithfulness or faith. And this is describing a theme about Messiah. Messiah is the one who, who dresses himself, if you will, in justice. 
and in righteousness. And he fights, he fights using these weapons as well. That's what Isaiah says later in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17. You might want to turn there with me because in Isaiah there is a recurring use of these terms, justice and righteousness and faithfulness. They recur and they're expressed many different ways about Messiah so that we get this idea that Messiah comes to deal with us with justice and to deal with us with faithfulness. And he comes to do a spiritual task that requires justice and requires faithfulness as well. Isaiah 59 verse 17 says he put on righteousness and it uses a form of the same word that we looked at earlier. This form is tzedakah. Say that with me, tzedakah. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and that is like a protection shield and the helmet of salvation on his head. Righteousness as his breastplate, the helmet of salvation on his head. So a helmet is another kind of shield, right? It protects the head. You know what the word is for salvation here in Isaiah? Yeshua, Yeshua that's right. He puts on the helmet of Yeshua. When we read this, it might bring to mind a passage from the book of Ephesians, chapter six, which speaks about spiritual warfare. And it's important to, to make this connection. I wanna show you a connection here. So you can turn to Ephesians chapter six, starting in verse 14. Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and one of Paul's themes, if you start at the beginning of the letter and you move forward, his theme is this. He's writing to a Gentile audience, but Gentiles who are believers, believers in the Jewish Messiah, and they've been fitted into something Jewish, and they're having to deal with it, like how do we fit in? And, and Paul is very blunt at the beginning of his letter, and he says, remember, that you were far away. You had no covenant, you were estranged. But now you've been brought in. And what you've been brought into is not the church, but you've been brought into the covenant that God made with Israel, that has now been enlarged you. The reason I say not the church is because the, the word church is not a biblical word, it's another kind of word. The covenant that Paul is talking about is a covenant that God made with Israel. So he says to the Gentiles, you've now become part of the commonwealth of Israel. And you fit in. You didn't have a covenant, but now you've been brought in. Though you were far away, you have been brought near. And he builds on this and instructs the Gentile believers how to live a life that's worthy of the faith that God has given to them. And as we get to chapter six, he's, he's getting to this point that we need to deeply appreciate. He's talking about spiritual weapons. And let's read about them and then think about them. Ephesians chapter six, verse 14. 
Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness. Well, how about that? It looks like Paul read Isaiah. You know why? He did. Thank you. With the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of the helmet of salvation. Wait, didn't we just read about that? The helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So as you read this, I want you to see the connection between what Isaiah was saying and what Paul was saying. Isaiah was saying this, Messiah himself comes for the purpose of justice and for the purpose of righteousness, for the purpose of faithfulness. And he dresses himself in that, but they also become spiritual weapons of Messiah. And the helmet of Yeshua, if we can just be straight with what Isaiah says. The helmet of Yeshua will protect your head. It'll protect you from attacks. It will protect you from thinking in a wrong way. The helmet of salvation is part of your protection. Now, some people come to the Lord and then they get really confused about life because they were sold a bill of goods. They may have been told this, if you come to the Lord, all your problems will go away. (laughs) If you come to the Lord, you're just gonna prosper in every way. You're going to pass go and collect $200 every time in the Monopoly game and never go to jail. You are going to prosper without any problems whatsoever. You're gonna pray and all of your prayers will be answered. You're gonna believe and everything you hope for is gonna come to you immediately. And then having heard that, they live out real life which is quite different. Now here's what Paul is saying. You have been redeemed so that you can be victorious in a spiritual way battle. Here's the bad news. The bad news is you're in a spiritual battle. You know, there's this, uh, this Christian call and response. God is good all the time. That's right. That's a nice one, isn't it? There's another one. You're in a spiritual battle all the time. Yeah, it's not so nice, is it? You're in a spiritual battle all the time. Not some of the time, all the time. You have a battle to face all the time. That's the reality. This world is broken, you knew that, right? And you're living in this world, right? So you're living in a broken world. And you are living in a world that God wants to redeem and the way he does it is he redeems people who then begin serving him and become outposts, if you will, of the kingdom of God. The Lord has in mind to use you and me. 
in such a way that his will can be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven, right. So that means that every day there's a conflict. Every day there's a challenge. I'm gonna walk over here, I never do this. (laughs) Hi (laughs) y'all. Every day there's a battle. And the battle does not cease, and the battle cannot be won today and then be over tomorrow. That's not the nature of this world that we're living in. The battle continues. There is a war that continues, and you and I need to be prepared for it. Now, we cannot use the weapons of natural strength and military weapons and so forth. We have spiritual weapons. The battle is not um, hand-to-hand combat with other people. The battle is spiritual combat, but it is combat, and it requires weapons. And the weapons are the weapons of Messiah. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, think of what Isaiah said about Messiah, and now apply it to yourself. You want to be messianic? Good. Welcome to the battle. You want to be messianic? Good. That means every day you will have to stand in the battle. Just make sure you're ready. You need everything to be ready. You need your feet ready. You need the right shoes. And he describes all those things. But he's pointing us back to Isaiah so that we would have a clear picture of Messiah. And we would understand that we have been joined to him and we need to live for him and we can live for him. Now, as we read this and we recognize that this is about Yeshua, this is about the Messiah who, who, who we uh, have committed our loyalty and our faithfulness to, we can legitimately ask this question, how is it that everybody doesn't see the same thing? If we all agree it's about Messiah, why doesn't everybody all other Jewish people and everybody who reads from Isaiah, why don't we all agree this is about Yeshua? And I I want to address that, if I can, in, in a specific way. It's not just what the text says, because we agree on what the text says. It's what you might add to the text that can change everything. Now to help, to help you understand this, um, Think about what has shaped your understanding of spiritual things, religious things, even biblical things. The movies you've seen about the Bible. Cecil D. DeMille. Is it D. DeMille? B. Yeah. Last night, I I hadn't said his name in a long time, and I called him Cecil. And thank goodness someone corrected me. But Cecil B. DeMille, Ten Commandments, right? There, there's a whole generation of people that thinks Moses looks like Charlton Heston. <laughs> or you took your kids to the Disney movie Prince of Egypt and that shapes you. Or if you're of a certain age, your family read to you from the golden books, you know, those child books uh, with nice stories and illustrations. 
What you heard when you were growing up, if you went to uh, any kind of religious education program or Sunday school as a child, what you heard from your teachers, not only what you heard, but how you as a child heard it. Who knows what they actually said? <laughs> but how you heard it and how you remember it, the traditions that you have, the expectations that you have, stories that other people told us, they all meld together and they conflate into one memory, which we may think is just our memory of the scriptures, but it's more than that. It's our blurred memory of all this stuff. <clears throat> now this became really clear to me years ago when I was pretty new in the Messianic movement and a friend of mine, Rabbi Michael Wolf, decided he would make a movie called The Cup of Elijah and he called me up and he said, would you play Elijah in my movie? And he knew that I really liked the prophet Elijah and scriptures about Elijah. And I thought he must not have much ambition, <laughs> but I'll be a good sport. And I said, sure. So Sandy and I went to Cincinnati where Michael and Rachel lead a, a Beth Messiah Messianic congregation. And Michael had a camera and video editing material or equipment and so forth. And we filmed this movie. He filmed the movie. I acted in it. If you can call it acting. <laughs> I like to say I did two movies, my first and my last. <laughs> but the next year, I was at Messiah Conference international conference, and all these four-year-olds and five-year-olds started following me around. <laughs> and they were like looking like, wow. You know, they're down here and I'm just trying to get my lunch in the cafeteria and little kids are like, wow. And they'd huddle together and they'd talk to each other, you know, like, no, you, uh-uh, not me, you. And, and one of them, the bravest one, would come up and start talking to me. And I didn't quite get it until one of them just looked at me and said, you look just like Elijah. <laughs> because in their mind, Elijah was Elijah. And so when they're looking at me, they're thinking, I'm Elijah. And I said, well, I am Elijah. <laughs> and they said, I knew it. <laughs> so in this, in this movie, there's one scene where Elijah's like running far and fast, this long distance. And, and one of the kids said, how did you do that? And I said, well, I ran really far and really fast, and they were just amazed. And then there was this stop action scene where there's a wine glass, and in the movie, Elijah prays over the wine glass and it miraculously fills up with wine from nothing. And some of the kids said, you know when that wine just filled up the glass? How'd you do that? And I said, it takes faith. 
So during that time period, they were thinking they're talking to Elijah. Now, by the time they were 10 years old, they understood everything. And they'd come up and look at me, it's like, you know, you said you prayed over that cup of wine. You're not even Elijah. They figured it out. That experience helped me understand that all these things fit in together and you never know whether what you actually think the Bible says is what the Bible says, unless you check it. Because you may read so fast or skip over things or say to yourself, I'm familiar with that, that you think you know what it says. Well, I was looking at some of the websites that speak from a traditional rabbinic understanding of Isaiah 11 to see how they read this. And you know, it was interesting, the, the first article I, I read was just straightforward in, in the first part it says, well this is about Messiah. And this is what we know about Messiah from Isaiah. And it just goes through these details that we read about, uh, these character traits and these, these ways that Messiah manifests himself. And then they took a step and then another step. And let me, I'm not gonna read to you, but I'm gonna explain to you. It says the spirit of the Lord is upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and power, spirit of knowledge and fearing the Lord. And he won't judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. Justice will be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the sash around his hips. And so they said, this is what we know about Messiah. Now this is what it means. It means he will establish the Sanhedrin. It means he will, with the Sanhedrin, rebuild the third temple. It means that together they will reinstitute the blood sacrifices of animals in the temple. And it means that he will be a great teacher of Torah, the written Torah and oral Torah. It goes on like that. Now all those statements are not in the text. They're not in the Bible. They are added to. And so the question is where do they come from? They came from mom and dad teaching this. They came from uh, this rabbi and that rabbi, from this book and that book. They came from other people, but they've been conflated together in the minds of many people so that it's seen as if it's what the Bible actually says when it's not what the Bible says. It's what others have added to the Bible to explain what the Bible means but doesn't say. Now there's a danger in doing this. Everybody can do it. We can all do it. And if you come from a Jewish background, you know this, Jews love traditions. We love them. And we'll, we'll add new traditions if we need. We'll even make up explanations for traditions if necessary. And in this way, we're similar to Catholics. If I, just, I'm not picking on Catholics, I'm saying we're similar. 
because Jews and Catholics have the same habit. We love traditions, and so we will um, live by them and express them. And you may not know if you were raised Catholic or if you were raised Jewish, that some of the things you do are biblical and some of the things you believe are biblical and some of the things you do and believe are not. Because it's all blurred together into one thing, but it's not all the same thing. And so there's a teaching that says, Messiah will be this great man and he will be a master teacher of oral Torah. That's not in the Bible that's added to the Bible for people who are looking for something else. In fact, the development of this idea came after the time of Yeshua, in fact, after the destruction of the temple. It took hundreds of years for it to actually solidify into a, uh, a, a religious body of literature that was written down and, and then taught systematically. But it was actually designed for a purpose, and that is to be an alternative to biblical Judaism and to be an alternative to prophetic Judaism, to be an alternative so that that growing movement of Jews who were following Yeshua would be separated out. That was the purpose. And it was very effective in many ways. But it's important for us to understand that so that we ourselves can, can use a better approach or a different approach if we really have confidence in God and in Messiah and in the scriptures. There was a time when others who were exposed to Yeshua said, this is the one who Moses and the prophets talked about. Yeshua himself said, this must happen in order that what Moses and the prophets said would be fulfilled. So it's important for us to have all the tools that we need in order to recognize Messiah. And they're not the tools of oral Torah. I want to tell you that. Now, there are some good things in oral Torah, and there are some things that are not. But I'm not here to distinguish between the good and the not good. I'm here to say this, that you can't be messianic and under the authority of oral Torah, you'll hear us say that often, and the reason is oral Torah rejects outrightly the idea that Yeshua is the Messiah, and rejects outrightly the idea of anyone not being under the authority of oral Torah. In order to understand who Messiah is, to recognize him. We need not only look at what Isaiah wrote in chapter 11, but we need to look at some other passages as well. And one passage is from Isaiah 53. And you might turn there, Isaiah 53, starting in verse one. The prophet says, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And now speaking about Messiah, in verse two, he says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering 
and familiar with pain. Like, ones, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, and yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by the Lord and afflicted. But in fact, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So this is interesting, and this is quite different from the explanation of oral Torah that says that Messiah can be recognized because all the Jewish people will recognize him. And that Messiah can be recognized because he'll be a master teacher of oral Torah. And even Maimonides says, we'll know for sure who he is if he does these things. But that's not what Isaiah says. Isaiah says when Messiah comes, he won't be recognized. He will be mischaracterized. He will be, he will be despised even. He will be mistreated People who look at him will think God was punishing him. But in fact, God was putting on him all of the weight of our sins, not his. And that's exactly what happened with Yeshua. And the oral Torah has this body of thought that says that, that Yeshua is being punished eternally in hell because he didn't accept the authority of their teaching. It's wrong. It's wrong, and yet, it's evidence that Isaiah got it right. So the idea that all the Jewish people, including the Chacham, the, the sages, will all recognize Messiah, this isn't true. Isaiah says, no, it's not going to be like that. He's going to be mistaken. We won't recognize his identity. We'll get it wrong. We'll think we know who he is and we'll be wrong. And so right after the time of Yeshua, we see that after the temple was destroyed, um, it was connected to another false messiah, Bar Kokhba, who Rabbi Akiva had said is the messiah, but he wasn't. And to this day, there are Chabadniks who are certain that Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, who has passed away, that he is the Messiah. But he's not. And there's a key to it. There's a key in Isaiah that you can see if you turn to Isaiah chapter 59. Turn with me to that. Because this part will help us. In Isaiah 59, verse 9, you see these theme words. Therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there's darkness for brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. In other words, we're hoping to find the righteousness and justice of Messiah, but we're like blind people who cannot and we're groping and we don't find what we're looking for. Verse 11, we growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. We look for 
Yeshua, but he's far from us. We look for salvation. You see, our transgressions are multiplied before you, Lord, and our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us and our iniquities, we know them. Ask yourself this question. Isaiah, is he an anti-Semite? No. Is he replacement theology? No. He's a Jewish prophet. He is giving voice to our condition. In transgressing, and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far off, for truth has fallen in the street and equity can't enter. And so truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. That's the situation. Now here's the solution. Verse 15, the Lord saw this, it displeased him that there was no justice. Say that with me, no justice. What is the purpose of Messiah to bring justice? The justice that combines righteousness, that combines justice and that combines charity. It's not justice that destroys, it's justice that redeems. It's the justice that the poor are looking for, that the widow's looking for, that the oppressed are looking for that the orphan's looking for. And verse 16 is a key to understand everything. He saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness It sustained him, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Here's the picture. This is what Isaiah says. God was looking, and he saw there is no way mankind can accomplish justice and righteousness. It's impossible. And so the Lord did what he had to do which is this, he said, I will do it for them. And he came down. He took on human flesh so that he could be a kinsman redeemer. Not from far off, but close. And he did what we could not do for ourselves. This was his purpose. This is what Isaiah says, I want you to see it. Isaiah says, with his own arm. His own arm brought salvation. His own righteousness. The reason Messiah came down from heaven is so important. Messiah is Adonai in order to do for us what all mankind needs done, that we cannot do for ourselves. This is why. This is a key to understand. Messiah is not just a good prophet. He's not just a great guy. He's not just a wonderful teacher. He's not just a rabbi exemplar. He's not just as good as Moses or something like that or almost as good or just a little bit better. Messiah, Isaiah is telling us, is Adonai come down. That's the key. 
That is the key. And Messiah establishes for us salvation, righteousness, right standing with God by providing a sacrifice for us we could not provide for ourselves. It's not a third temple that we need. It's the one who died before the second temple was destroyed that we need. This one. We don't need to be aiming in the wrong direction. We need to recognize what Yeshua has done and participate in that ourselves. We need to know. And we need to say for ourselves what it is that he's done. When we get this right, we're not tempted. We're not tempted by the other ideas. We're not vulnerable to contrary teachings that go against Messiah Yeshua. We can stand firm. We can do things well. We can live for God and we can live powerfully. We have to understand all these things that Isaiah is talking about or we won't get a clear picture. We'll just get a little bit, but not enough. I wanna wanna encourage you as you're completing Passover today, I wanna encourage you to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, to think about what Yeshua has done, to take notice of that and to not be drawn into other alternative views of Messiah that would deny what the Lord has done, what Isaiah tells us to look for, so that you would recognize the one who really came for us. That's my hope for you, that you would be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, not in your might, not in your power, but his. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Yeshua, for what you have done for us. Lord, you have, you have accomplished for us what we could not do for ourselves. You have saved us, you have redeemed us, you have transformed us, we wanna live for you. And let it be, Lord, as as we come to the conclusion of Passover, that we're ready to move into freedom and we're ready to move into service. In the name of Yeshua, we pray, amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Yivarechachad and I, v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha, yisar anai panavelecha, v'yasemlecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his shalom in the name of the Prince of Peace, Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, Chag Pesach Sameach.